0: Welcome once again to the Nefesh Podcast, episode 39. I'm so happy you are with us. And, you know, this week I want to talk about prayer, the struggle with our will, and how it affects the soul. And I I think it's so apropos just coming out of Easter and reflecting upon Jesus' death, His resurrection, and last week we we had a great conversation with natalie Contreras and her um her and her family's journey into celebrating the jewish feasts and uh and especially as it connected with passover and communion and and uh um, the last supper that jesus celebrated well i've been in this this passage of scripture in luke uh for a while and particularly in luke chapter 22 In Luke chapter 22, it describes Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. And a few weeks ago, we talked about Peter and the impending failure that he was going to be experiencing. And after the Last Supper, Jesus goes out to pray and it's a powerful passage of scripture. Matthew uh, refers to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane. Luke refers to the Mount of Olives. And so it's just the garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives, essentially. But they're, they're referring to it in two different ways. It's a powerful prayer. You may be familiar with it. Jesus praying very, very passionately, and with with so much sorrow and anguish about what he's about to experience to the point where he's sweating drops of blood. And the agony that he is experiencing, you know, it's often, uh, we wonder, what, what is it that Jesus is, does he know fully meaning, does he know the extent is he aware of every whiplash, every, or every lash of every whip, every every sense of every pain that he's gonna experience on that cross and the beating beforehand? Is he dreading it, you know, kind of like it's is so, so, so minimal compared, you know, compared to what Jesus suffered, but kind of like going to the dentist, you know? Um, the dread of what they're going to do to you and it just kind of you just start thinking about it before you actually get there because the thought is you just you know you know it's not going to be fun is he dreading the physical pain some scholars uh refer to jesus's suffering and and really the moment of death the moment of his sacrifice on the cross as the moment when god turns his back on Jesus that that he had to turn his back on Jesus because of the sin that Jesus was carrying well it doesn't really say that in Scripture uh, to my knowledge but that's kind of the picture that that some scholars and theologians have painted that that is essentially what God is doing and Jesus himself on the cross cries out you know my God my God why have you forsaken me so Jesus certainly feels forsaken that there is this this almost this separation that that doesn't normally happen because jesus and god are one but at the moment of death and at the moment where jesus is bearing all the sin of the world that god i don't know and and theologically this may cause people to spin out but does god kind of you know pull back In that moment. Again as if he is turning his back on Jesus. Is Jesus. Not just fully aware. But is he feeling it. Ahead of time. He says. Something so. Interesting. In this passage of scripture. That is another thing. That scholars debate. What exactly he's referring to. And. In verse 39 of chapter 32 of Luke, the story is set up with, it says that Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and and that helps us to understand that going out to pray was something that Jesus often did, and and particularly in Luke, it talks about that Jesus going off by himself or, or with the disciples and praying, and it says that his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation unclear fully what jesus means although we we do see that in matthew he specifically points that statement to peter and there's a thought here that as we talked about a few weeks ago when jesus is is talking about peter's failure hey peter i know you're going to fail but don't let that failure keep you down when you fail And when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. And so I wonder if this prayer to not fall into temptation, what is the temptation that Jesus is actually referring to? Is the temptation about failing or is the temptation actually the not getting up after you fail? Because Jesus knows that he's going to fail. And so I'm wondering, is Jesus saying, hey, pray that you don't fail, even though I know you're going to fail and I've already told you that you're going to fail? Or is Jesus actually saying, pray that when you fail, you don't give in to the temptation to stay down, to turn away, or to give up? And I think that's important because it connects to what then Jesus prays. He And verse 41, it says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Wait a second. So is Jesus actually praying not to be killed, not to die? Is he praying for another way to to take the sins of humanity? What exactly is Jesus praying for here? Several years ago, I, I've never seen the movie, but I've just heard about it. Um, several years ago, there was a movie that came out called the the last the last temptation or the final temptation of Christ and. I, I think I was a kid when it came out, because I just remember, you know, adults being all upset about it. And again, I've, I've not seen it. I'm not bothered to see it. But I, I think the gist of it is that, you know, Jesus has this moment on the cross when um, when he is tempted to get off the cross and not die, actually go through the 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 death. And, you know, kind of live a life, uh, get married, I think, have, have a kid, that type of thing. Um, and so the final temptation is to, instead of dying, actually, you know, living, um, is what actually is the temptation here? What exactly is Jesus praying for in this moment? And what What is he referring to when he references the cup? Now, Matthew, in his version of this story, he talks about Jesus saying to his disciples, and particularly the three Peter, James, and John, and he says to them, My soul is consumed with sorrow to the point of death. My soul is consumed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus is about to die, yet he is feeling so much anguish even before the death that it's as if he is dying right then and there. And in this version, or in this this uh, in Matthew's uh, narrative, it says he falls face down. So in Luke, it talks about him kneeling down, but here in Matthew, he falls face down, or he he just like, I can just picture that, just dropping to his knees and just on his face, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Well, in verse 42, so he goes, he, he gets up and he goes back and he finds the, the three of them asleep and he's like, hey guys, couldn't you hang with me for just a little bit? And then he goes back and he he prays again, but this time he says, "My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, may your will be done. Several years ago, when I was in my undergrad uh one one of the many i had I've had many amazing professors throughout my my time in, in education and but one of them in particular dr nancy heidebrecht a brilliant old testament scholar and for one of our classes we had to we were studying the book of ezekiel and it, it referenced the a cup god's cup or or the cup from god and and we had to go through and we had to not just in ezekiel but throughout the whole bible we had to do this uh like this cross-reference search of where in the bible it talks about a cup and if you actually do a quick search you see that that word cup is not is not a whole lot it's only about 78 times in the new international version it's not it's not a whole lot um and and ref what does it mean when this word cup is used what is being referenced Now, of course, sometimes it's just referring to an actual cup and and there's a narrative that is attached to it. And there are some times when when the cup is actually pleasant or or a good thing. Psalm 16.5, the psalmist says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Psalm 23.5, you prepare a table before me In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 116, 13. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. But the rest of the times when it's talking about the Lord's cup, it's not actually a good thing. Isaiah 51, 17 says, awake, awake, rise up, Jerusalem. You have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. Jeremiah 25, 15, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel said to me, take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath. Ezekiel 23, 32, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You will drink your sister's cup, a cup large and deep. It will bring scorn and derision for it holds so much. Verse 33, you will be filled with drunkenness and sorrow, the cup of ruin and desolation. Zechariah 12, 2, I'm going to make Jerusalem a cup of, that sends all the surrounding people's reeling. And then we see a similar thought all the way in the book of Revelation. Revelation 14.10, they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. It's an interesting thought that here in several places in the in the Bible, that there is a cup that is coming from God, that is a a cup of judgment, a cup of wrath. It's also interesting, and, and I've I've heard this from some scholars before, that you know, at the moment of Jesus. Jesus's death on the cross, and 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 really even during his time there on the cross, the brief moment he dies much earlier than than um, than the others, and then was normal. Thankfully, he didn't have to suffer as long as you normally would on a cross, uh, Roman crucifixion. But he, as he's dying there in agony and suffering, that God figuratively turns his back on Jesus because Jesus is taking the sins of the world on himself. And so God is turning his back to Jesus. And it, it seems like Jesus at least feels that way because he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He feels forsaken. He feels like God has abandoned him he feels like God has turned his back on him. Is in fact Jesus, is Jesus drinking from that cup of God's wrath and judgment? Is Jesus perhaps asking if there is another way for the sins of the world to be redeemed. Because not only was he going to die an incredibly horrific death, but he was going to bear the sins of the world and take on himself God's judgment, God's wrath. It's a heavy thought. Again, it... There's a lot we don't know, and this is this is this is biblical scholars wonder, and they see a connection between this concept of cup, and this this reflects the substitutionary uh, atonement that Jesus was our substitute for the punishment that you and I deserved and that he takes on himself the wrath that is that should be poured out on us because of our sin it gives it gives the death of Jesus even more weight when we think about it We think about the emotional and spiritual anguish and burden he was bearing. So heavy that he's sweating drops of blood. So powerful that the night before it's going to happen, he is already feeling the weight of it to the point where it's as if he was dying under the weight. We know that the Day of Atonement, as we see in Leviticus, and as Natalie and I briefly talked about last week, we know that Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, was meant to be a day of repentance for all Israel. And that on this day, this was the only day of the year that the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. This was a holy day where the high priest is mediating between humanity and God. And there is what is referred to as a scapegoat and especially in scripture, it's referred to as a scapegoat. A scapegoat, this goat, this live goat, the high priest, put his hands on the head of the goat And confessed all of the sins that Israel had committed. And put the sins figuratively onto this goat. So this goat becomes a scapegoat. It takes on the sins of, uh, at that time, it took on the sins of Israel as a nation. And that, that then that goat was sent off into the wilderness. It carried the sins. And so Israel is watching this. It's carrying the sins. Of, of them. And they're watching. The high priest. Pray, confess over this goat. All of the sins. And then send the goat off. Into the wilderness. Away from the people. That Jesus as the Messiah. Was the. Was the. Embodiment of this scapegoat. And was literally taking on himself the weight, the sins of humanity. There's something so powerful about the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And I believe that there was that, that there was more than just um, you know, the, the ritual of the sacrifice that yes, God was was using something that other religions were already doing and he was trying to give it new meaning. But I think that there was meant to be something in the watching and the experiencing of the sacrifices. That as each person brought their sacrifice, and especially the sacrifice of an animal, and watched the blood being spilled and the animal giving up its life, That there was a connection, a reality, that the person watching this experience would have such a weight on them that, my goodness, this, this ram or this, you know, animal is dying, is giving up its life for me so that I could live. I believe that God wanted them to be there watching it participating in it so that they understood the weight of what was happening and when we see and read of Jesus up there on the cross this is why this is there is there is an incredible power in uh, not the symbol itself, but in the understanding of in what the symbol represents. And so when we picture Jesus up on that cross, he is the very representation of, of sacrifice and of giving up his life so that we do not have to, so that we can live. Is this what Jesus is experiencing? Is this... What he's, the weight that he is already under the night before, the weight of the sin that he has to bear. Because in John, much earlier than this, Jesus makes the statement. He says, no man takes my life from me. I give it up willingly. He was willing to give up his life. And even in Philippians chapter 2, the the uh, kenosis passage where paul talks about jesus um you know not not thinking equality with god was something to be held on to or grasped or kept at all costs he gave up his his place in heaven and came down to earth he did it willingly but what was he struggling with then where was His will being taxed. Where was he feeling the weight of everything? It's as if I get the sense that Jesus looked out at all of humanity and he said, I willingly not only give up my life, for every single person because because I love them, but I do it, I do it, I do it out of love. I do it in the very depth of my being. I do it with every ounce and sense of love that is possible. It was not the death, it was not the sacrifice. I wonder if it was the weight, literally, (laughs) of the world on him. I wonder if that was the struggle. And he was experiencing what you and I experience every day. The taxing of our will. Our will is, it is really the seed of our decision-making. It is, it is, the, the, it is the determination of our, of our character. Our will is what is constantly being shaped and formed, whether into Christ's likeness or into our own likeness. Now, of course, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, being perfect, his will didn't need to be transformed. But is it possible that that even in his perfect form, that he was feeling the weight and the burden of the sin? The same type of heaviness that we see throughout Scripture when God weeps over his people, over their sin or over their lostness. The same type of heaviness that Jesus felt when he came to Lazarus's tomb. And it says that Jesus wept and he saw those who were struggling and suffering and he wept and was overcome with emotion. The same heaviness that Jesus had when he came to Jerusalem and he's looking at Jerusalem prior to his death and he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have loved to have gathered you in my arms, just like a, a, you know, a mother hen does for her chicks, but you would not let me. Is he feeling that weight? The weight of, of people's rebellion, the weight of people's just lack of understanding. And the will, that part of him that is struggling under the weight and the heaviness that is on him, what is, what is powerful about Jesus in that, in that wrestling, obviously, is that the surrender there is truly a surrender and a per- perfect surrender. That though there is a wrestling and a heaviness, there, is, there seems to be no hesitation on his part to, to, to continue and to step forward. Our will struggles every day to do the things that we need to do or should be doing. There's the whole willpower depletion. We run out of willpower. We run out of energy at a certain point in in, in our day. In fact, it's so very quick. This is why, why habits are so important. We've talked about that before. And so the glaring difference between Jesus's will in that story and Peter and the disciples their will Peter's will was to not fall to not deny Jesus his will or his desire rather was that he wouldn't fail and in fact in Matthew uh, uh, Matthew 26 Jesus says to Peter during this this, this prayer he says Peter um, you know the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Your spirit desires, and your will may desire to do what is right, but your body has not yet fully been formed into my image, or has not yet gone to the point where you can risk uh, taking take risks and be courageous. Yet your flesh, your your The rest of you that is still being formed is not yet able because your willpower will leave you. It will go. It is not yet there, which is why you need to pray all the more, Peter. Your spirit desires it, but you don't have enough willpower to keep yourself from falling back into your old ways, to keep yourself from actually falling. And obviously the, the, the stark contrast is that Jesus being fully formed, there was no hesitation in his will. His will was ready to surrender as if in the same breath, I just picture it in the same breath. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. My father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, may your will be done. In the moment that he desires or a different way. Or for a for a lessening of the weight on him. In the same breath he is saying. But my will. Father is surrendered. To your will. Dr. John Ortberg. Whom I've mentioned before. Just a, an incredible uh, pastor. Theologian. I think he may have picked this up from Dallas Willard. I don't remember. But he... He said, the one thing that does not tax our will, because everything, every day, decisions especially, and you may have heard about this decision fatigue or choice fatigue, um, especially when we are just overwhelmed. It it can be hard to even make the simplest of decisions because we're so overwhelmed in our mind and the body and everything is just taxed to the max and we're just tired and overwhelmed. He says, the, the one thing that does not tax our will, the one thing that we can do every second of every day without any type of willpower depletion is surrender. The one thing that does not take any energy from us that does not cause a a struggle with our will is surrender and surrender to God. And Jesus obviously learned this, knew this, uh, probably didn't need to learn it, knew this. And so in that very act of of the desire or feeling that overwhelming, uh, sent the weight in that very next breath, it is... But I surrender and let your will be done. Willpower alone did not keep Jesus on that cross. It was surrender that kept him on that cross. Willpower did not get Jesus through the beating that he experienced, it was the surrender of his will to God's will. It's a beautiful thought, isn't it? Our will is in the process of spiritual formation and it, it needs so much work. And it is formed through the development of spiritual habits and disciplines that help to develop our character and it is formed through the constant and consistent surrender of our will to God's will. I pray that that you, that I, that, that all of us, as we grow in our relationship with God, we learn this, this simple act of surrender. That in those moments of temptation, trial, in those moments of difficulty, That we learn and embrace the ease of surrender. The surrender of our will to the ultimate Creator's will, who knows what we need even before we ask it, is as all praise in Ephesians. And that as we continue to surrender our will to His will, our will then becomes aligned with his will. And we live and move and have our being out of his will in our lives. Well, thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Nefesh podcast on prayer, on the struggle of our will, Jesus's own struggle,